alongside Wesley, and here on Show Back with Jamie. Jamie, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing great. As you know, our audience only knows if they follow us on social media. I am at DragonCon right now. I have attended DragonCon. I'm here learning all about Star Wars, all about a lot of different fantasy things. But making time for the podcast, podcast professional that I am here to review episode three of Ahsoka. Jamie, have you ever been to a fan convention? You ever been to like a Comic Con or anything? Uh, only once. I went, um, tw- maybe twice, depending on how you count it. Um, the Escapist was a um, website. It probably still is. And they had a convention only like three years in a row. But I went to one of those. So, Gotcha. Okay, so you kind of have the general feeling. Yeah, this, this is the biggest one I've ever been to by far. I've been to a couple fan conventions that are like specific to a particular canon. So like a Game of Thrones convention or a Star Wars convention. But I've never been to one that is like basically the scope is wide open like this one. There's apparently like sixty to sixty five thousand people here, and it feels that way. It feels super big, um, and I'm enjoying it. I am learning a lot about Star Wars now. I will tell you that the general consensus here among the fans, best I can tell, and sitting in different panels and things, is that they they tend to like the Ahsoka series. I think there's a lot yeah. of positivity around the Ahsoka series, especially this episode. What did you think of this episode? I think it was good. Uh, I think it was short. I think it didn't have much. It Look, they, they only gave me... Um, I wanted a quarter pounder. And they only gave me a one thin patty with one piece of cheese. But they charged me like a quarter for it. I'm just saying, it was small, but it was dense and full of value for how much time the investment was. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think I see what you're saying. Yeah, I, I liked it. It felt a lot like a like a Rebels episode. It had the same sort of pacing. Like, the animated series that Dave Filoni did, he did two. Well, he really did three, but the two that we're going to talk about is Clone Wars and Ahsoka, or uh, Clone Wars and Rebels. They felt like this, where it was about 25 minutes, and there was usually, like, a handful of characters at, at most. And there was, like, one central thing they were trying to accomplish, right? Like, in this episode... They're trying to get to the Dinab system. There you go. Like, that's the episode. And I kind of appreciate that simplicity. Yeah. Yeah, it, it that's true. It was simple in that sense. Um, I feel like it was a questionable choice having an extra short episode after a double episode. It was almost whiplash, me watching two in a row last time for as long as that was. And then this, it, it felt like it should be a commercial break. Um, I feel like this would have been a really good for a two-parter or something or something with a commercial break. But I'm I'm kind of splitting hairs. I I liked it is the short answer. Yeah, I think that, like, likely, tell me if I'm wrong, likely that sense of unease about the episode length and, like, what you're getting into when you sit down probably transfers to a lot of the streaming shows for you, right? Because, like, the shows that are just streaming now most of them aren't real disciplined about keeping to a particular time limit. They're kind of all over the place. Yeah, I mean, that's true. It does not always bother me. Um, it's it's almost just more the... Well, like, I mean, it bothers me a little bit, actually. Not knowing if a show is going to be 35 minutes or 60 minutes yeah. is annoying. Sure. That said, um, it it lets you not have to pad an episode. If you actually have a nice arc, you can make the short episodes be actually short. 
or instead of having to squeeze two short episodes together awkwardly that don't go together or having to add in padding to reach your 30 or 60 minute mark or having to squeeze, you know, if you've got a 70 minute story, you don't have to break it up awkwardly. You can just make a 70 minute story or something. So I, I guess it lets them tell better stories, but it, it is, uh, it's annoying too. Sure. Probably, okay. probably more good than bad, but we see the bad and we, the, the good is kind of hidden where we just don't see unnecessarily padded episodes. Only intentionally unnecessary padding. Well, the Favreau and Filoni shows are especially bad about it because they will go every, every, I mean, the shows will, will take on like what this was, which was like a 25 to 30 minute, just quick, you know, one central plot point that the, the, the everything sort of revolves around all the way to like a one hour episode that feels more like a drama where there's a million different plot lines going on and it's all over the place. So yeah, I mean, I, I get it. Um, you want to jump in the episode? Let's do it. Episode three, time to fly. We start with the crew running through hyperspace. And when I say crew, I mean Sabine, Ahsoka, and Hu Yang. Hu Yang is one thing that during this entire sequence, they do a lot of external shots of the plane or of the ship to show you hyperspace. I think they really want us thinking about hyperspace, right? Because so much of what I think the next couple episodes are going to be is them trying to get to the particular hyperspace lane, go to this other galaxy, whatever that means, to try to get Ezra, follow the other group that's going to try to get Thrawn. So I think they want us thinking about it. So I'm, I'm going to be honest. Hyperspace bugs me in Star Wars, the way it's done in Star Wars in particular. The reason why it bugs me is because it seems inconsistent by such an order of magnitude that it kind of just is whatever they want it to be, uh, which I, I accept ships should move at the speed of plot. If you want Obi-Wan and Luke to arrive late to Alderaan versus if you want them to show up just as it's about to blow up, like, fine. It, their ship can move at the speed of plot. But the idea that they say, oh, drop out of hyperspace now, and they have to be on this side of the planet. If you're going hyperspace speeds, waiting an extra one second, and you would have missed the planet. Like, that's not the kind of thing you do manually. And yes, this does mean that I kind of, uh, I have to hand wave away a space magic, um, episode, uh, seven, where they just hyperspaced past a shield or something. I, I have to hand wave it away as just space magic. But, um, I hate that. I, I, I hate it because I want it to make sense. I want it to be, you know, is this a wormhole or is this, just faster than light travel, or do you have to avoid stars, or do you just not have to come out inside a star, or you know how much, how fast are you actually going? And the answer is, stop asking questions, nerd. Yeah, I mean, I feel like for you, if what I've noticed is that if a character has a specific power, particularly around the Force, you're able to go okay, this is fantasy, it's not sci-fi, they have a power, that's just the power they have, let's move on. But when it's something that's kind of, like, grounded in theory that, you know, we dabble in no, as humans in 2023, it's a little harder for you to hand wave, is that true? Yes. The, the Force, 
works in mysterious ways, and we don't know all the things that it does, and the Jedi don't know all the things it does. So there is, it might as well be magic, and different people connect to it differently. You're absolutely right. Uh, and and there's there's is some other stuff beyond just the magic that I can kind of hand wave of, I don't have to understand how this works. But when it's blatantly inconsistent, it just doesn't make sense. Like, if they're going faster than the speed of light, which they have to be, the idea that you drop out early and say you're doing it, and then you fiddle with some controls and drop out, like, they would have done the exact same thing at the exact same speed a .1 second later if they didn't want to drop out so far away via uh, Jedi protocols. If they want to drop out the normal place, they do the exact same thing, and they just have their ship drop out less than the amount of time it takes a, um, a, a neuron to fire in your brain. That's how much difference you would need on, yeah. on the timing flipping the switch. Can't yeah. doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. I, I accepted yeah. Han doing it because Han is force sensitive and he's lucky. Like it, I can even accept it if it's they're just that lucky. But if it's like the way it's supposed to work, then it needs to work in a way that's intelligible, right? Yeah, I mean, I think they rely on most people not having the level of intellectual scrutiny that you just displayed. Well, so so I, I'm jumping into the actual plot line, but you know, they're they're traveling to a uh, to a planet, and she says to drop out now, drop out early, and they drop out of light speed. And they can see the planet in the distance. It's very hard to see because it's so far away. Fine. But they're acting as if they were just in stealth mode, like in in the shadow realm. Um, If they were, like, phased out so no one could see them and they couldn't see anybody else. And they were just plodding along at, like, lumbering speeds and just picking when they wanted to surface from underwater. Uh, Like, they're a submarine. That's it. They're treating hyperspace as a submarine lane. Sure. You're getting the argument. Getting an argument for me. I mean, I, I I know what you mean, and you're right. I just think that they are relying on those people not to, for it not to occur to them what you just said. And the, I think the only that, time I think I, the reality is most of the audience probably didn't think think about it in those terms. Look, the, the only the only times that I'll accept the writers were dumb or the writers think that the audience was dumb is season eight of Game of Thrones. Because that's the only answer for that season. In everything else, I want our better explanation. Yeah, I don't. For, well, we can have a separate argument about season eight Game of Thrones. That's what I bring to your podcast, cri- man. I bring, I bring, off, I, I bring other shows that I want to say one sentence about and then not have to back it up. That's what I bring to the criminally podcast. underrated episode of television season of television. Now that it's been trashed for four years, but uh, I'll say this. Uh, I agree with what you're saying. And Friggin' Mueller? Gosh. I think they're just relying on people not to be thinking about it that much because when they think about it through the lens you just said, of course, oh, we'll just manually drop now and oh, it's a long ways away. Like, no, like the, the, the time it took you to think, like, I, like to, to start to formulate your sentence, you would have been, you know, so far past it, you wouldn't be able to see it. Like, I, I get what you're saying. Um, so that's basically what happens in this, in this episode. Or this, uh, this opening sequence here, the one thing I liked is the training sequence with Hu Yang. I did enjoy that because it, it, it's a, 
another direct parallel to A New Hope. They've done a couple of these so far this season. We even got the line, if I can't see, how am I supposed to fight? Which is what Luke told Obi-Wan in episode four. Pretty cool. And they train, and then we get the cold opening. And then we cut to a scene with the New Republic fleet. And here we see Harris Abdullah. She comes up to a conference room. She's told she's waiting. She, of course, is Chancellor Mon Mothma. Mothma, ever the, the people person, ever the politician, ask about Jason. This is a uh, get your buzzer ready. If you listen to our first couple of our review of the first couple of said Jamie talked about having a buzzer where he, he would buzz it if he started giving backstory he didn't care about. But Jason is the son of Sindula and Canon Jarus, Canon or Canon, Canon Jarus. And Canon um, was the he was a Jedi Knight that survived Order sixty six, turned away from the Order, ended up coming back to. The order, in as much as maybe the Ahsoka's related to it now, you know, like Ahsoka's like not really a Jedi, but like practices the Force. That's what this guy kind of did to trade Ezra Bridger. So that's the connection for you is that Sindula's, um, the 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 father of Sindula's child, Jason, who we see here, was the mentor and taught the Force to Ezra Bridger, who this whole crew is chasing. So I I I left my buzzer down because I wanted to hear about this because I have. Two questions. So, so this is her actual child, not adopted, right? Her actual child. Okay. Two questions. One, where are his head tails? And two, why did they name him Jason? Oh, regressive gene and she likes horror movies? No, Jason is... So, I'm going to... You know I get to be pants when, when pants isn't here, right? Uh, so, yeah, so, yeah not here, I, I, I have to be the Spencer. This does not align with the old extended universe, and it's unacceptable. That's that's my that's my pants impression. Um, so, in the extended universe that existed before, which is not canon now, but they those books still exist and they live in my heart. Jana and Jason were Han and Leia's kids. They were fraternal twins, a brother and sister, and they both were training with Luke yep. to be Jedi. And, and Jason so, turned away from the Force, like. Like Ben Solo did. Yep, yep. Uh, J- Jason turned away from the Force, and he came back, and they had a brother, and their brother's name was Anakin, because that was the grandfather. And I think Anakin actually became, like, super evil? Or maybe it was Jason turned super evil. I don't know. Jason was a comic relief when they in the books I read when he was a kid. Um, but, so when I hear a character who's a kid of a Jedi named Jason, I have to think that that's at least an homage to the old extended universe, right? If Probably. not foreshadowing. Probably. All right. So watch for that kid to become a Jedi and then turn evil. And Yeah, I mean, they, they even planted the seed, right, where he says, I want to be a Jedi. Which I think, you know, might have been a call out to the extended universe. And also, I think it was a little bit supposed to, to tug at the heartstrings for the people who who knew canon and or Kanan and knew Ezra. Um, you know, because there's nobody left to teach him other than maybe Ahsoka, but I'm, I'm not sure that would, that would happen. I think that it would probably be Ezra, who would have been the the uh, natural teacher for Jason, had he survived. If, or, you know, maybe he did. I don't know. But anyway, Senator uh, Ziano, who is a fucking dick, uh, said they need to stop the small talk. And he starts going. Sindola gives him the updates. And he's basically like, yeah, here's the deal. I think you're just trying to marshal New Republic resources to find your, your friend Ezra. And by the way, Ezra's dead. And, you know... I got the impression that Mon Mothma did not like Senator Ziano, 
but was unwilling to call him to to task. And that that's a real problem for a chancellor, right? Like she's the she's the as chancellor, she's the head of the Senate, and she should be able to call him down when he's being inappropriate. And I think him immediately jumping to conclusions about the motivations of a new Republic general so fast in the middle of a briefing was absolutely inappropriate. My mom just sat there quiet and it just plays into what we've been talking about on this podcast, that the representation of Mon Mothma in this show and in the sequel trilogies is very different than the Mon Mothma that we knew in Legends canon and we knew from the original trilogy. And then even, you know, in the Andor series, and ultimately makes me want to vote Thrawn. Vote Thrawn, next chancellor, that's what I'm saying. So I, I accept it. Uh, I, I don't love it. I think it does show that there's problems. But here's here's the thing. I Honestly, and maybe, maybe they are trying to make you like not feel bad that we all know that this Republic fails. Um, you know, the, the whole maybe they're retconning it of let's let's make people not be sad about it failing. Let's make sense on why it failed or how Episode 7 could have come about. Um, maybe they are trying to give you an actual plausible was thrown right conversation because they know people are kind of people, people. Yeah. Well, the fact that fans wanted to have a conversation over whether Thanos was right. Um, like the fact that people were willing to have a, maybe genocide's okay. Conversation shows that they like it when big blue, uh, interesting villains (laughs) who think that they're doing something worthwhile and aren't cartoonishly Uh. evil. Um, uh, that pe- people apparently are, are 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 hungry for that. Maybe they want us to throw on a step them on just a little bit. Um, but I, I do accept it. And honestly, if you want to tie that into your complaint, which I think is valid over um, uh, Ahsoka acting different than you expect, look at Mon Martha and look at her. They seem tired. They've yeah, had Mon- what, 50, that's fair. They you know five years. Uh, how how long has it been since the uh, Empire? How long has it been since the Empire started? You know, 15 years, five years, whatever. Many, many years. And nothing's going well. And everything's hard and a struggle. And they're alone more than they think they should be. We had a victory, but things didn't actually get fixed. And now it's our job to clean everybody else's messes. They both seem tired. Um, and it shows a little bit that the her style, Mamatha, in a way that I do accept that, look, I'm going to be kick ass, take names, take charge when we're in a war and we're not in a war now. Now these are representatives and if they're assholes, well, they got voted in as an asshole and I have to listen to their assholery and sometimes I can veto and sometimes I can, you know, cajole and force and sometimes I can do it anyway and sometimes I can get a majority vote, but sometimes I need unanimity, unanimous consent. And sometimes I, if I can't convince them, I don't get to do it. And they probably have their own parliamentary rules on when you can do these different things. So I think that she doesn't like him. But I think that he has a right to say these things. And it sounds like he's not entirely wrong. And it's not a new relationship. This isn't somebody coming out of the blue just accusing her of this. He's made this accusation before. You can tell it by how he talked and how she got warned on her way in. So this is a guy who... He's saying that she's doing it again. So she has already apparently kind of beat this dead horse as far as he's concerned. Give him the benefit of the doubt that he's not just a tool for no reason. People who are tools are usually tools for a reason. I'm having to talk as much for Spence also since he's not here. Um, it, he 
he has seen her look for her friend multiple times as a general Maybe. and fail. And so he says, well, he has seen her try. He's seen her do things. He's seen her. He's heard her talk about him and more than he is willing to put up with. So Maybe. whether that's reasonable or not, it's, it is assholeish. He's an asshole. And, and maybe he's unreasonable. Maybe she hasn't done much. But this isn't the first time she's asked for something like this. And she didn't really give them any reason to think this is different. You know? Okay, so I hear what you're saying. And you may be right. I think that the way they're going with this, just my opinion, and it's more based on how I've seen them tell stories before, is that this guy's an, a, a, a sympathist for the remaining Imperial remnants. He's a plant and he's going, he's directing attention away from Thrawn and any sort of resources to, to, to attack that situation. I think he's, and that's why when the, the concept of, Oh, well, these were Imperial sympathists. They, they were very quick to dismiss it. He was very quick to try to move on. He didn't want any sort of spotlight into people who either used to work for the empire or did not participate in the war, which he, it comes out in the conversation. He did not. He doesn't want any scrutiny in that at all. He just wants to move right on past that. Um, my my belief that he's that he's a sort of plant for the for whatever you want to call this, the Empire, the First Order, whatever, is more based on how they've told stories in the past. Where if they take the time that they took in the scene, it was what three four minutes to introduce a character that in, in such an immediate, dramatic, tense way. There's a reason that they've done that. We're going to see this Senator Ziano come up again, and probably not because he's a level-headed, reasonable senator, right? Like, he's going to play some role in the plot, and it's likely – I think they're likely setting up that he's going to continue to be a thorn in the side for Ahsoka and Hera as they try to marshal resources against either the hunt for Thrawn or Thrawn by his back. Could be. Could be. Um, no, you so, might be right. Yeah, who knows? He uh, so we hear um, Hera say Thrawn is not our typical Imperial officer. I know because I fought him. She says she lost friends to Thrawn, and that was the part of her conversation that I felt like, or her argument that fell apart for me, is when she got into the like I've lost friends to Thrawn. It's like, well, I don't know. Like the Empire blew up the planet. Like <laughs> the the number of people that have died in this back and forth over the last fifty years is so exponential. So that, like you saying, you lost a handful of friends to fighting Thrawn. I'm not. I'm not sure I would bear that in any sort of decision making on how to marshal resources if I was Mon Mothma. Like I felt like that didn't really have a place in the conversation. Yeah, I mean, I I think you're kind of right. I I will. What I will say is, I'm unsurprised. Like that sort of thing, though. I I have seen. I uh, again, I take talk like Spencer and say about you know. Law stuff. I've seen people arguing about, you know, zoning rules and, you know, not to put zoning near X, Y, or Z. And they're told yeah. in advance, don't say, well, our business is special. Our family is special. Our kids are special because that's going to make you sound like you're entitled and pretentious and you're out of touch. And they go up and they say, this is not a normal neighborhood. This is special. And it's like, oh, gosh, you couldn't just stop. So you're right, it was ineffective, but it's very human, or whatever her tail species is, is very normal. Uh, and so I, I, I'm she's not a twilight, she's something else. 
No, she yeah, she's Twi'lek. No, she's a Twi'lek, Ahsoka son. Yep. But um, so so you're right that it's ineffective, and it wouldn't have flown with me either. But I, I'm completely unsurprised. Uh, yeah, it, it, I think it's a good point. Normal. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a natural thing. Jonas says that Bridger's dead. She snaps on him. Mothma says they need some time to confirm with their colleagues. We don't see the the outcome of that, but we we hear from Hera later that it did not go Hera's way. That they don't they don't commit resources to this. After Hera walks out, her assistant says that went well, so to speaking for the audience. In comes Jason, and they have the whole conversation with Jason about how he wants to be a Jedi. Kind of full circle, nostalgic, sad situation. End of that sequence. Anything else on that? Um, no, not really. Uh, I, I do just think it's interesting that they're saying, look, I, I don't care if you're right or not. The, it, you, 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 I think you mentioned last time that uh, you know they disbanded the military. Just the idea of the other senators saying, look, we represent the people who voted us in and they don't have an appetite for this. Like you can convince us all you want, but we know that the people we represent and are supposed to be the will of don't want to mobilize the fleet. Don't want to go picking fights with stragglers out there somewhere. You know, they don't want to remember from, they don't want to talk about it or think about it. So yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe, I mean, that's, that gets into the, like, Direct democracy republic argument, like, are you elected to, you know, confer the will of the people or to make the best decision in the interest of the people? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I think he was asking for a very small amount of resources here. Wouldn't be surprised if this comes full circle and we find out that Mon Mothma's inner circle has been infiltrated, but we'll see. In comes Ahsoka. She compliments Sabine on how fast she was learning. You can see it. Like, shout out to Ahsoka. She's trying to be positive. <laughs> but Sabine yeah. immediately goes to the thing that she doesn't do well. And this is something like I manage people for a living. That's like my job. And it really frustrates me when you're trying to give someone a compliment and all they want is what they don't do well. <laughs> it's so hard to manage a person like that. And that's what Ahsoka is dealing with now is that like, fuck, man. Like she's trying to say, hey, you're good with weapons. And she's like, yeah, I'm good with weapons, but I'm not bad at the force. And then they have this whole back and forth about how – who Yang told her that she was literally the worst fucking <laughs> prospect that he'd seen in like a thousand years or some shit. Yeah. You know, Ahsoka's like, you told her that? You told her that? Like, you should have told her that. And, you know, Hu Yang, he's a droid and, you know, has this program. And he's like, no, I just told her the truth. And like, doesn't seem to have any sort of real, you know, uh, emotional response to that. Uh, get a teeny bit of feedback from your line, Jimmy. I don't know if you. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you, is things. that better? Yeah, it's maybe a little bit better, yeah. Um, and they have this whole back and forth, and uh, finally, Sabine leaves, and there's a conversation with him, and Hu, or Hu Yang says, yeah, like, basically, Ahsoka's saying, hey, like, you probably shouldn't have told her that, you know, she's the worst Jedi ever, a thousand years or whatever, and he's lost, just the truth, she's not acceptable by any uh, it's not an acceptable candidate by the Jedi standards, which were proven over thousands of years. She goes, yeah, the same standards that failed. And he says, historically, there have been very few Mandalorian that have ever become a Jedi. We established in the last podcast. I'll reiterate it here, though. There is, there is one Mandalorian who has ever become a Jedi. And then base, now now two, because now we got my guy Grogu. But it, basically just one in the canon. And then you have whatever Grogu is on both sides of the house. I don't know if he's a true Mandalorian or a true Jedi, but whatever. I'm going to say he is. I mean, who, and who cares about Grogu anyway? That's what I'm saying. How dare you? And then Ahsoka says, uh, I don't need Sabine to be a Jedi. I need her to be herself. And he says, I do suppose you come from a long line 
of non-traditional Jedi. And that way she cut, she fits right in, which is a really funny line because, uh, what, <laughs> look at the line of, of, you know, Jedi that she's from, right? It's like Anakin, Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon. Yeah, all very non-traditional. Oh, but wait, what, so that's what I thought. Go back further. Who taught Qui-Gon? Uh, Yoda? No, that was my guess. Um, it was Dooku. Ah, uh, you're right. Damn it. I knew that. And, and then who trained Dooku uh, was Yoda. So yes, a long, I, I thought, oh, oh talk about vision. Anakin. Oh, talk about Qui-Gon. Oh, no, wait. It goes further back. And who taught Yoda? I don't know. Probably a Purgle. Yeah, maybe, maybe a Purgle. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna definitely, a purgle. definitely all the way back to Yoda. It's not traditional for sure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just more about her training. And they're, they're reiterating something that I, I drove home multiple times in the last podcast, which is that Sabine has never been shown to be force sensitive. So, there you go. Cut to Sabine, who's trying to move the cup. One thing that happened in the last conversation is that Ahsoka moved a cup with the force, and she kind of told Sabine to start smart, small, start small. So, Sabine is trying to do that. She's trying to move the cup with the force. She hears the force is in all of us, and she continues to try to move it. It goes nowhere. She tries again. Ahsoka then says, They've got Hera. So anything on Sabine trying to use the Force here is how how is that hitting you, that whole tension with her trying to train to be a Jedi, but she literally can't use the Force? I actually think that's – I love it, actually. I think it's fascinating. The idea uh, that – you know, being a Jedi is about more than moving rocks. It's about more than having a sword that lights on fire. It's about, you know, a code. But, you know, as Ahsoka is showing, you can say she's a Jedi. She says she's not a Jedi. The droid thinks she's enough of one. You know, you can do it without strictly adhering to the code. You can be a non-conventional Jedi. What does it really mean? And the idea that anybody, literally anybody, not just that anybody might be lucky enough to have the metachlorians or the connection or the talent. Uh, it's not just that anyone could be lucky enough. It's that anybody could train if they cared hard enough and could be maybe the weakest Jedi, but worthy of it because, you know, the fact that the things don't move when you move your hand doesn't change. If you have the same mindset, you know, if you stole all of Yoda's midichlorians, he wouldn't be able to use the force. He wouldn't be as observant or fast or insightful or anything. Or have but the work ethic, still, et cetera. Yeah. Right. He, he'd have the same work ethic and he would be the same intelligent and he'd have the same experiences and the same discipline. He'd still be a Jedi any more than, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I love that. I think that's fascinating. And so I really now want to know why did they start this? Why did someone with no force ability decide they wanted to try anyway? Why did Ahsoka decide, well, I'm kind of the heir of the Jedi's and I need an apprentice. I'm going to pick but she's not no there, force right? ability. I think that that's that's a big part of it about maybe why she feels like it's okay to take a risk to try to train somebody like this because she's not the heir to the Jedi. She knows that Luke is out there, that Luke is a Jedi master. He's he's rebuilding the Jedi temple. He's rebuilding the Jedi Academy. He's going to train people. Like, I don't think she, I think that's an important aspect to know that Ahsoka doesn't feel that pressure that it all ends with her. You might be right. Um, So, Cut to Sabine, um, who looks at the cup and says, you win this round. Another shot outside the ship. I think we got three or four of those this this episode. Uh, outside the ship during hyperspace. And they really want um, – so then, then it cuts to Hera. 
who confirms the news that New Republic won't be joining them. Sabine flies hot. Hera apologizes. And then they enter the Denap system where apparently all communications are jammed and therefore they can't talk to Hera. But this is probably something that drove me crazy because they would not, like, they would not, if they're going at hyperspeed, they would not be able to even have a conversation. They wouldn't be able to get the sentence out. We've entered the Denab system before they left the Denab system. So, well, I so, so I, that, that part didn't really bother me because how big is the Denab system? You know, do you, maybe there's even a convention that when you're going to be approaching it, when you're going to be inside it in the next 60 seconds, even if you're not inside it yet, okay, fine. You're, you're, you're in it now. You know, you're approaching it. Um, I, I, I will say I'm in Tennessee when I see the sign that says you're now entering Tennessee, even though I'm 60 feet away and, to a to an ant that would be very far, uh, but I'm going to. I think the same. I think the same. I think you're trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. The same complaint still holds. I, is that I, they, I, they I, would have flown right by it. Well, we don't know how big the system is. I consider the system to probably be like. May I mean? Here's the thing. What's the soul system? That's Pluto to the sun, which is, I mean, we Earth to the sun is eight light minutes. I think to Pluto it's light hours, light days. So they could be going faster than the speed of light and still have a few minutes when they're inside the system. Plus, that's only to the to Pluto. Outside of that is the Oort cloud. And outside of that is the inner space area that is closer to our star than any other star. You would probably say you're entering the soul system as soon as you're further away than Betelgeuse. Or when, once you're closer to soul than the next star over. So okay. I, I accept that. I, I don't know how much faster than light they're going, so maybe this just makes no sense, but I accept that as fine. Yeah, you, it's a big – all systems are big if you word it the right way. Okay. So they drop out of hyperspace fairly oh, far we, away from we, the planet. Weird that they didn't turn around when they were getting jammed. Like maybe turn around to tell them, hey, here's where we're going. Hey, we're being jammed. Hey, maybe what, – I mean that's what made me think that the map system wasn't very big, that they could jam communications like – I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I've never heard of them jamming communications across, you know, like a like a space that would be minutes on, you know, like traveling light speed. Like I, I, I didn't, I didn't know that, that technology existed. Jam communications across that vast of an, you know, space. But I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe did, it does exist. I don't know. Did you know we have space witches? Because we have space witches. I think that means anything is possible. Apparently. <laughs> Wu Yang points out there's a very large ship-esque sort of thing ahead of them he's never seen before. She's like, hey, run a scan on that, would you please? Then some fighters approach. Two squadrons of three aircraft is what we hear. Uh, that's not a six. Space, in, spacecraft. In, 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 in most things, that's called six. Uh, yeah, two times six gets. That's, that's, uh, two times three gets. Six times seven. Shout out to the original movies. Uh, Sabine drops into the gun pit. So there we go. We get a little Millennium Falcon action here. Sabine isn't doing a great job to start with. Ahsoka tries to give her a few lessons, and again, Sabine is a shitty student and just is like, stop trying to teach me. You're just like, uh, well, you're, uh, okay, fine. Anyway, we get a prolonged starship uh, fight. Sabine Shin is leading the other fighters, who I, I can still say after episode three, Shin's still my favorite character of the series, the most intriguing character to me personally. And Merrick is also with her. Merrick we saw at the end of episode two fighting Ahsoka. We think he is probably an Inquisitor, but we haven't had that confirmed on screen yet. As they get closer, trying to figure out what the large ring-shaped thing is ahead of them, Hu Yang is continuing to run the scan. 
And uh, I don't think I pointed this out in the last episode, but the the ship that Ahsoka is on is a T six one nine seven six. Had to look that up, but it's a T six one nine seven six ship. I don't think they've given it a name yet. As they get closer, they get shot by the guns on board, and the large. As they get closer, they get shot by the guns on board the large vessel that Morgan is on. So basically, what happens is as Shin is chasing Ahsoka and Sabine, Morgan's like, "Hey, let me handle it," and shoots them, and you know, knocks their looks like it knocks their, their power out, but definitely knocks their shields out, but doesn't doesn't destroy the ship, right? And Shin says, right. you almost got him. You almost got him, but I'll take it from here. And she pulls her ship closer and goes after him. Anything on this before we get to Ahsoka out <laughs> standing on the ship? Um, so I, I feel like so much of what you've already said and so much in this episode is just people making the stupidest decisions they can at every point. Like the witch deciding, hey, stop firing as soon as you get through their shields. As soon as you lose them for your scanner, all guns stop. You know, that ammunition is expensive. Once you can't see them, don't keep firing at the spot where they were a moment ago. It's right up there with don't waste the ammunition on that life pod that has no life spines on it. It couldn't possibly be, you know, a uh, CD-ROM on there with all the data we need. Yeah. yeah, and it and when Ahsoka gets out, and that that follows, right? Because when Ahsoka gets out on the wing, it's like, why didn't Shin just shoot the ship, blow the ship shoot the up? other wings? Yeah, they have send, send Ahsoka flying out, flying out into space, you know, without a ship. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. I, I agree with you. There's no no strategy there. I think the only thing that you could maybe try to explain it, and it really, yeah, it feels really like trying to give, you know, sort of explain bad writing, but is that maybe Shin must have an emotional reaction to seeing Ahsoka out there and was attacking her Yeah, and, and, and had lost her strategic thinking in that moment. That's the only thing you could come up with, maybe. One, she is, so the only way that you could, I, I, I want to make that argument, and it's the only thing that makes sense, but then you have to reach that Ahsoka knows that as dark side users, they'll get emotionally invested and personal and try to shoot at her, you know, rather than the ship. So it, it's, and, and maybe that's plausible. You know, the anger, the frustration, the taking things personal, the clouded thinking, etc. That's kind of their whole bit. Um, that said, she doesn't actually, well, no, I, you can't even take that because she doesn't know that they're force users in the other ships. No. They're, they're just ships. She doesn't. They can be piloted by droids for all she knows. Well, Ahsoka does say, I'm going to try something. I don't think she... It didn't seem like she knew it was going to work when she went out there. True. So may, it might have just been... Uh, uh, yeah, I, she couldn't think of anything else, so she did that. And lucky for her, worked. it worked, I guess. Yeah, because Shin was, was specifically targeting Ahsoka because of some sort of... Personal vendetta because she knew she was a force user. I don't know. Fill in backstory. But you kind of have to because the immediate strategy of it doesn't make any sense. Yep. So the fighters miss the first pass, take the second pass, and the second pass. Ahsoka kills one of the fighters by doing the Ben Solo, uh, or no, the Ray Ray thing from the sequels where she, like, with a lightsaber, flips 
right? And cuts a ship. Uh, I think we maybe also saw, didn't we see somebody do that to, to Dart, um, what's his name? The guy who was in Mandalorian, Moff Gideon. Didn't yes. do that to Moff Gideon? Yeah, too? yeah, I think so. We've seen this right. a few times now. So that, it bugged me at first, but I realized she's using the force. She jumped and landed in outer space and she didn't just keep floating. And I was about, I opened my mouth to say something angry and then I realized, oh no, wait, she could pull the ship closer to her or herself to the ship with the force. Yeah. I mean, Leia did it when she was dead. And Leia wasn't dead. It's, everything's fine. Everything's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. It's all fine. It's all fine. Uh, this is great. She and Mary keep chasing the T6 past. Um, and, uh, oh, no. Uh, after that happens, Ahsoka's kind of floating out in space. But that was a weird part, right? Because this is a everything, everything's fine situation. Because Ahsoka does the flip. Lands, put, like, lands in outer space, so she had to use some level of force to make herself land that way, like you just explained. But then we see her just floating in outer space, like, hey, can you come get me, please? It's like, well, why don't you use the same ability you just used when you so, did the flip to so go I, back onto the ship? Yes, I accept that, though. Um, and here's why I accept it. Yoda says size matters not, but it clearly does. You know, it's clearly impressive when somebody can grab a ship out of space or stop a ship. That's not a thing any Force user can do. The size of the object is relevant. How far you have to move a thing, how fast you can move it. Like, you can move something faster if you're stronger with the Force. It's hard to do. Everybody would have a maximum speed. If every single person could break the speed of light by, with the speed, then they just do that and make explosions every time they wanted to. It must be hard to fly. I mean, the idea is a, a lot of superpower things take the idea of you can lift stuff, but you can't lift yourself. Same as you can pick things up and you can't pick yourself up off the ground. It must just be hard to lift yourself, like, for whatever reason, which is a little hard to explain, but it's in almost anything where people can lift things but can't fly. Um, I, I accept it, but you do kind of have to fudge why is that harder. She's further away. She's moving too fast. She's spinning something. Why is it harder? It it just is, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Well, anyway, Sabine flips the ship back on, gets her, and they go down into the atmosphere. And Shit and Merrick are still chasing. Now they're down to, I guess, two ships. So I guess they took out four. I only really saw two get destroyed, but I guess maybe Sabine shot the other th two or three down. I, I don't know. Um, I, I saw her, I saw Sabine shoot one and definitely kill, definitely kill one. And then I saw Ahsoka do one, but there was supposedly six. Anyway, we're left with two. Shit and Merrick chasing the T6 down into the atmosphere. And as they fly in, they see some purples. And Sabine is amazed by that for a moment. Shin and Merrick keep chasing the T6 around. The purples, as Shin continues to chase them, we see from her perspective, and what I thought was a very cool scene, that she loses visual on the ship. I thought that was cool from her perspective, how she's watching. You see the T6 in front, and then it just sort of, she just kind of loses the visual, and she doesn't necessarily see where it dropped or how it dropped or anything. It's kind of a cool, cool, cool shot. I, I agree, uh, because how could you lose somebody behind this stuff? Well, they showed. Because if they just said, oh, I, I lost them. You lost it behind a whale? Maybe they're on the other side of the whale. 
They didn't attach themselves inside the whale's sphincter. Like, go find them. No, it was it, it was the clouds. It's, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the ship flies down close to the surface. Hu Yang is fired back up. Asked them what they're doing. Ahsoka and Sabine confirmed they almost died multiple times. That was a line that really felt like the cartoons where it's like they sort of joke about like, almost died. Well, that's normal for us. Okay, all in a day's work. And then they got monster chasing next episode again. Like, yeah, that shit I, happened I, a lot in the, in, I, the, in the animated series. I hate it. And I, I hate it for the same reason why we sort of hated all of us, I think, the hospital scene. Either that's accurate and they did almost die and they do almost die a lot. And these times they're you know, if each one of these things have a 60% death chance, then the fact that they haven't died is a plot, is egregious, blatant plot armor. Or they're not actually almost dying. They are just that good. And they know that they're not, that there is a chance of death, but you'll call it 5% each time. Um, which is, like, do you actually think you almost just died and it happens all the time? Or do you think, or is this a joke that you know that you risk death all the time, but you're never actually in that much danger because you're just that good? Like, wh- which is it? Because they're not acting consistent with either one, and I have grumpiness in my heart. Yeah, I think that's that's a Dave Filoni special right there. You got you got that sort of tone constantly in the in the animated series and. It was because this is ultimately fun, you know, space cowboy stuff. Um, anyway. You know what's fun? Consistency. <laughs> when they land, they shut down all power. They shut all power off to stay undetectable. Finn deducts that they are hiding in the forest, decides to leave to regroup. They fire Hu Yang back up. Ahsoka has to beat how she, how she is. And she says she hasn't seen Purgle since the day Ezra disappeared. They get some static feedback, and Hu Yang says that the enemy vessel is still under construction. This is, this is now... This is not related to the feedback. They were just getting feedback. But Hu Yang is saying that he's run the scan. He's giving them the results. The enemy vessel is still under construction. They need six hyperdrives. The final one's being put into place now. He says that the craft will be able to go into hyperspace jump with astonishing speed and length. Ahsoka asks if they can go to other galaxies. And Hu Yang says, theoretically, he says that the Jedi archives speak of intergalactic space travel lanes between galaxies, which used to follow the migration paths of Purgles, like the one we just saw. Of course, Hu Yang doesn't remember that. He was shut down for that period. Cut to Balin, who says that the Jedi must have taken refuge in the forest. Hunt them down, and off the droids go. We get some daunting music, end of episode. What do you think about that final sequence? The final sequence I thought was um, fine. Uh, I liked the fact that they, that they used the word refuge, because it struck me as a totally inconsistent thing in a way I actually enjoyed, where usually when people take refuge... That's like the good guys and leave them be and, and everything when, you know, this guy knows that the Jedi are not the bad guys and he may or may not think he's a bad guy. Um, he may or may not be a bad guy, but he knows he's not. He knows he's fighting the good guys. Uh, and the I was struck by um, the subtleness of that last subtleness might be the wrong word. I liked seeing him sitting by himself thinking, not even emoting very much. He didn't even have a lot of expression on his face, but just you could see that he was thinking. And I don't know why, but I liked it. Like, it was really drawn out. It was almost annoying, but I liked it anyway. Yeah, I mean, I feel like he, I think they've been consistent 
with him and his act has been consistent that he feels conflicted about hunting down Ahsoka and he feels strange about it. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I feel like this was, this was definitely like, we've got, got, got something we have to get the crew to do and we're just going to get them there. It, you know what? It felt like it, it felt like a really good version of the frog lady episode. Remember, remember the frog lady episode from Mandalorian? Yeah. Where it was like, I, I, I don't want to have, are you going to make me remember? Cause I kind of don't want to, we got to get the ship with these people to this place. I'm like, and there's some hijinks that happen and some tension and drama. And we could do a really cool space battle and boom, they get there and then the plot will continue. And that's kind of what we got. Yeah. I mean, it, it was tight. Um, that, Talk, can you talk to me more about Purgles? Because I thought these things lived in hyperspace and they're super rare, but they apparently just live around this planet. And maybe that's because this is on it, their migratory route and they just happen to be there then. But they seem just to be normal flying things and they don't look like whales. They look like squids. And what? why do we care about them? And are we sure that they're not the female versions of Yoda? So what you're going to – what I would – what I recommend to you is to think of Purgles as magic because okay. it's going to be easy. It's going to be easier for you if you just go, oh, okay, yeah, there are these magic creatures because they do go into atmosphere and then they will come out and go into space and all good. They also apparently can find these hyperspace lanes to go travel, you know, vast differences or vast distances. I mean, I guess maybe like a real amped up way of like how maybe sea turtles get around in the sea. Like, I think that's maybe what they're going for is that they find these currents and lanes and they get in them and that it takes humanity, like these massive supercomputers that are the apex of technology in this world that is like so technologically advanced from even what we have now. But they can just do it naturally. Cool. They also apparently are related they, they they have strong, a very strong force presence to the point that they will speak to certain force users. Like Ezra could speak directly to them, and they liked Ezra and would kind of do what he wanted them to do. So I think you got to throw some magic on the on the pearls. I think that's how it's going to work. I don't think I like it. <laughs> would you Would you have liked it better if you had come to the conclusion that they were magic and I didn't have to tell you? But. Because I, you know. No. You no. Know, so, I never know so, what you're going to accept. So. I don't know. Like. Okay, fine. <laughs> fine. <laughs> he waves the white flag. Yeah, I mean, I think the part with Purgles where I stopped trying to think about them through any sort of like, okay, they've got like a set of rules that I can apply to them and they'll be consistent. Like I, I got out of that thinking when they got so tied up with Ezra and they were like, it was like Jedi. Like they, there was like references to like Jedi centuries ago could speak to the purples. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, if they're, if they're like force creatures, then okay. Then they're magic. I got it. Okay. Now, now it's it, a little it, easier for me. Is this like when all of a sudden Pikachu just spoke English in like a deep, deep bass voice? Yeah, and that's stupid, right? I mean, Pikachu should have a high-pitched voice. I'm just saying, he should not talk. He should say his name. That's what they do. 
I'm just saying, yeah. like, they, uh, I love the idea that there's, I love the idea of space whales that just live naturally in hyperspace. I love the idea, honestly, I don't care the medium. The idea that there is a between worlds space, maybe it's just the intergalactic, you know, uh, sea foam. Maybe it's hyperspace. Maybe it's a shadow realm or other dimension. But the idea that those other dimensions or other spaces between exist and that there's things native to them that are just alien to us and that we can kind of jump through it and see it a little, but just they don't care about us and we can't care about them. I love it. They've done it with um, a lot of different products. Yeah, the Magic Gathering has the Eldrazi who live in the eternal blind, the blind eternities. The yeah, Marvel has it with where Nightcrawler goes when he teleports. He goes like through sort of hell, but it's not hell. I don't know. I like that. So I like the idea of purpose. Still not sure they're not female Yodas, but that, 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 that's my own pet theory. That's just for fun. The idea that then they also sometimes just hang out in normal space. Not even just that. In atmosphere. In yeah, atmosphere. They're yeah, heavy. They're heavy. <laughs> Things that I think that another thing that's kind of strange about them is that when they decide to go into hyperspace, like they link their like tentacles to each other and then they just they just they 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 flash off the screen in the same way that ships do when they hit their their hyperdrive like and that never made any sense it would seem to me that if they were they would need to start traveling quickly and then they would slip into these hyperspace lanes they wouldn't just go from like stalled to hyperspace like so, that didn't make so sense I, to me either i i hope i can make you like it more cuz that actually i think is cool and i love it the That's idea is serious. well the idea is uh, like our ships I'm not sure whether our ships need to be moving at all before they can jump into hyperspace, but they don't have to go a little faster, a little faster, and they cross the threshold. They go, boom, and they're gone, and then, boom, and they're here. And when they arrive, I've always just thought this is a cool visual that Star Wars has always done. When they arrive, they're coming at full speed, and then, thunk, they just stop. Star Trek does it too. It's just nice, the idea that, thunk, they might as well have come to a complete stop. They're still moving. But they might as well come to a complete stop. The idea that a little bit of speed helps is the most jury. It's the most MacGyvered patched together with duct tape humans can make it work that I love. It. Um, the idea that maybe we have to because we haven't figured out a better way to do it. And they can just say, why don't you just then unintelligible thing that we couldn't possibly comprehend? Like just. Turn upside these ways, just and then you're there. And like I, I don't, I don't understand how to turn well, upside ways. I don't know. But my my concern is I don't know how biologically they just go zero to whatever so, that fast. Like they, uh, they've got zero explanation for how they get it, going that quickly. Well, they don't go quickly. They just enter hyperspace and then quickly happens. They don't get up to uh, they don't go get up to speed. They just know how to. We need a new verb for it, but turn. They, they they know how to turn themselves until they are in hyperspace, and then hyperspace occurs, and then they are where they want to be instead. I I'm going to give you a human analogy, and maybe it will be fun. Imagine that you had never seen a bird, but you had seen airplanes. Okay, and you knew okay, humans made airplanes. We can fly. 
and you've never seen anything else that could fly. You've just seen airplanes. Fair enough. And, you know, you, you think you, somebody tells you where there's animals that can fly. And they're like, oh, so it's going to be like you then describe what's effectively a bird. It gets a running start. It flies, has wings. Maybe the wings move. Maybe they don't. Whatever. And then they show you a, a bumblebee that just flies. It just lifts without moving first and just hovers straight up and then goes backwards. You'd be like, uh, how did it get a running start? Where is its Bernoulli's principle? What is going on? And you're like, it's a bumblebee. It just doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's what you have to, to – I mean, the idea that it's like it's standing there and then it links the it links their tentacles together and then it, it flips planes into hyperspace and boom, it's got – Maybe, maybe, maybe this is all perfectly consistent. Uh, look, you, you just that, you, that doesn't that doesn't track for me in the least. Look, but, look I mean, maybe it's a step, a it's a step to the left, then a hop to the right, and then <laughs> but then but this hard part. You need to take three steps in the direction that's opposite of Rainbow Sherbert Tuesday. If you and, do that last part right, and then you're there. You're there. Yeah, you, you, then you've basically already arrived it, at your destination. But that last one's a little tricky. It's. It seemed to me to be devised to create dramatic situations because they again and again and the, te- and the and the cartoon show would show them linking the tentacles and then go oh it's about to happen and then everybody had to get ready for it to happen and then there was this dramatic tension as it was going on and it's like oh I bet that they created that so that they could have the scenes where it starts to link and then they can have the tension of, oh, gosh, we have to get away from the pergles or we're going to enter into this crazy space. And, and that's what and that's what happened to Ezra and Thrawn, is that Ezra held Thrawn in place while the pergles linked up and they didn't move and they didn't get away from them. And then, boom, they got shot to the galaxy and went the fuck ever. So seems seems like a, a writing crutch but to me. But uh, uh, anything else you want to talk about this episode? Um, No, I think that's it. I mean, it, it, not much happened. I, I did also like the training, just backing up a little bit. Uh, it was fun. It was neat. I liked the idea that her strikes with the sword were being recorded and then could be judged because it seemed like she was just doing it right or was going through forms. But I, I loved, like, almost like a video game or something, just this strike was good. This strike was bad. And he was just able to, like, score you just by observing. Loved it. I just thought that was so neat and clever and plausible as a way that you would have a training droid do that. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you last, last episode you, you mentioned that Hu Yang trained Jedi and I was like, I don't know if he really trains him. I think that what you saw is what Hu Yang does. Right. And yeah, you could, you could, I guess you could call that some level of training, but like he's, he's training in the way that like the droids helped train Luke. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Training, sense, it's, some yeah, it's, assessment. It's a sparring partner, basically, yeah. but it's not It's not your boxing coach. Right. And that's, and, yeah, well, that's and, what he does. And, well, and maybe he can do boxing coach. Maybe he actually can do that also, and this was just not the time for that. Maybe this was just assessment time. You know, what, what, yeah. what do we ever work with? Or practice your forms, and now we're just going to, you know, do your forms. No, he's not He's not that, though. He doesn't, he doesn't actually train Jedi. Like yes. He's not. Yes. <laughs> 
Because he, he also, like, doesn't have the temperament for it, clearly. Like, he's all, he's about to get uh, fucking Sabine to take an escape pod off that damn ship, the way he keeps condescending to her and making her feel bad about herself. So he's zero ability to work with people. I don't know. Still still have the same complaint about the acting from Rosario Dawson. And I, I hate that I am sitting here, like, shitting on an actress who's been doing this for 20-something years. I feel like a fool doing it. But what I am watching on screen doesn't look and feel like the Ahsoka that I know. And also isn't entertaining. So I don't know what I don't know what I'm left with other than it's not consistent I, and I'm not entertained by it. I, I will tell you that um I am enga- entertain is the wrong word. You're right. Like it's not really fun to watch a, her, her. Um but it's interesting and it's engaging for me, and that's enough at least for now. If she never does anything more, then well the rest of the show better be good. Um, cause she, she currently is not the highlight or the fun part. She's like the fourth most interest. She's like the fifth most interesting character. She's behind the junior dark Jedi, who's Shin, the senior Jedi, Thrawn, who hasn't been on screen, the general, the, her Padawan, the robot, and the witch are all more fun to watch and interesting so far. So she's eighth, I think, on her own show. Um, yeah, that's not great. But, but that said, I, I've, I've heard this complaint from other people and the idea of um, if you love a character and then they bring that character back and not only is it just a different take, but it's it's not recognizable. It's not it doesn't feel like it feels like a reboot at best, an homage, maybe, but kind of just also a bastardization of the character who you liked or unfaithful to who the character has been or just a new character with the same name and that that's really unfulfilling and i feel like maybe i'm actually getting the benefit of i only ever saw her in a few episodes of clone wars so a kind of sassy optimistic rebellious teenager who very plausibly could grow up into this and who i didn't have a connection with so i don't care but yeah, I mean, if if you made a Batman movie and he was just cheery and sunshine and honest all the time, I'd be like, this is not Batman. This is something else entirely. It's like if you had Clark Kent murder a prisoner, you know, with laser vision and breaking his neck for no reason. I just wouldn't like that. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I There's this, like, very predictable thing going on online where people will like say what I might be opinion that I've espoused on this podcast about her acting, and then people will be like, "Well, you're just some keyboard warrior who doesn't know shit about shit about acting." Rosario Dawson's been doing this forever, and she's like done all these like great roles, and it's been like really good. And like all that's true, all that's true. I still have my opinion. Like, well, well, yeah, <laughs> well, I, 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 I still have what I see yeah. and what I like to see on television, and I yeah, eighth on her own show is about right, and that's like not great. Well, so I, I I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think from what you said, you're not saying that she's doing a bad job, or that she's acting it wrong or anything. For all we know, this is exactly what's supposed to be. For all we know, it's going to pay off somehow. Most yeah, likely, maybe. I don't know. But, right now, but most, li- most likely, we're still just not going to like what they did with the character, but she's probably doing what she was told to do. She's probably maybe. doing what the director wanted her to do, probably. Yeah, I mean, I can't. Uh, yeah, I have absolutely no idea about that. Yeah, right? like I, I can't comment on that. All I can say is, like, I knew this character. This doesn't appear to be the same character. And I, when she's on screen, I'm not, it's not compelling to me. 
It's so like, and compelling is a step farther than entertained, right? You said entertained might not be the right word for you. For me, it is the right word, and I would go a step further and say, I'm not. It's not compelling when she's on screen. Sometimes I yeah. find myself bored when she's on screen. Like that's a problem I, for me. Yeah, and and I'm not sure if I'm compelled. I am interested, which is kind of like one step below compelled. I'm interested when she's on screen. I'm yeah. I'm, I, I'm I'm definitely interested. Um, I, I I guess it's just. It doesn't seem like she has anything more to work with. She doesn't have other lines. She couldn't be saying these lines in a cheerier way and make that big a difference that I can imagine. Um, you know, yeah, actors and actresses can bring all kinds of different things to the role, but they've put her in these situations with these long pauses and silences, and these the, these are the lines that she's been given. So I I am – there's only a few times that I blame an actor or an actress for a role. And usually, the, I blame casting them more than any, more than the actor or the actress. Um, right. I don't blame the actress here at all, and I don't think you are, uh, or at least you're at at worst benefit of the doubt for now. Um, but it seems like, yeah, they they are they're leaning real hard on the last fifteen years have been hard on our plucky, uh, popular heroine, and I can buy that because I don't care about her. But if I cared about her, I would not want. Yeah, well, she's bitter now and lonely and sad and quiet. Sorry. Right. Okay. Well, that's our review of episode three of oh. Ahsoka. Thanks. I, yeah, I, 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 I have a nostalgic moment. See, you can't start bits and then not tell us when you're going to cancel the bits. I haven't done these bits. You, you and Spencer keep trying to keep the bits going. We don't, we don't do bits on the show anymore, but we can do them now if you'd like. But I don't, I don't, I don't normally do these anymore. That's uh, something we did a couple seasons ago. But if you have a nostalgic moment, Give it to us. When they turned off the droid and it popped back up, still talking from before. <laughs> the C-3PO action. A little C-3PO action. That's all I got. That's really good. Yeah. Um, I don't think I have one on the fly. I don't think I have a nostalgic moment this week. Oh, maybe, you, maybe what you I said about him, her, her, her training out. with the visor. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. I already called out what's the, the connection of Luke and a new hope. I think that's fair. Okay. You, you, you can't right. abandon the bits. The bits are still going. Bits, 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 bits. <laughs> all right. Anything else? That's all I got. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back with you next week to review episode four of Soka. Everybody's great week. See you.